What do you do if you want to know the will of God for your life? Well, if you want to know just about anything, where do we go? Of course, any churchgoer knows that the first place to go to is the source of all knowledge and truth, the iPhone. <laughs> I want to see if y'all are awake. Of course, I'm kidding. Well, let's, let's, see, what, let's see what happens here. I'm going to ask Suri. What is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for your life? A very interesting and puzzling question. Hard to answer that question. The will of God is a mystery and, frankly, none of your business. What? What? None of my business? This is my life. You know, I think it is my business. You know, I want to know, is it God's will for me to move and, and take that job in Cleveland? Some of you are thinking right now, I can tell you right now, don't go to Cleveland. Uh, just kidding if you're from Cleveland. We want to know, is it God's will for me to marry this person or that person? Is it God's will for me to, or for us to, to have kids? And if so, how many? Is it God's will for me to go to this college or that college? Why did the Spurs have to lose? I'm, I'm preaching to myself on that one. I'm still struggling with it, okay? Um, but it's questions like these that, that we want answers to in life. And when we look back on the past, you know, I think back just on the, on the first half of this year and, and remember the tragedies in Newtown, Connecticut, at the Boston Marathon, in West Texas, in Moore, Oklahoma. In the shadow of these events, we are often left wondering, God, what is your will in all of this? What are you up to? What is your will in the midst of these great losses? Why did these things have to happen? The Christian life is hard. And that question, what is God's will, has to be one of the most difficult questions that we have to face. You know, especially when, when suffering and, and trials and difficulties set up shop in our lives, we often turn to God and, and ask what is your purpose? What is your will in all of this? Sometimes folks think that uh, pastors rarely struggle with these kinds of questions. But we do. My mom passed away last July. It, it will be a year on July the 12th. And uh, having Christmas and, and Thanksgiving Without her was a challenge, but the hardest days were that first birthday of hers 
in January when she would have been just 62. And that first Mother's Day last month, and you realize you can't mail that card and you can't pick up that phone and say, Mom, I love you. Thank you for all that you have done for me. Happy Mother's Day. It's those kinds of moments when I, I do wonder about God's will. I'm not angry with God. I don't question his goodness and his love and his permissive will. But I do wrestle at times with those why questions. And I know that uh, many of those questions can't be answered. So I have to give that disclaimer up front. If you read the front of the bulletin and and came in and thought, okay, now I'm really going to get a grasp and a handle on this topic of God's will and have it handed to me in this nice little gift-wrapped box. I'm sorry, but it's, it's not that easy. If you could put the will of God in a box, it would be more like a, a jack-in-the-box in which the unpredictable things of life suddenly pop out and you wrestle with it and just when you think that you, 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 you've got it contained, it pops out again. The unpredictable things of life suddenly burst out and you have to trust by faith that God knows what he's doing in your life. So my prayer that over, over the next four weeks, <clears throat> as we go through this series on the will of God, is not that you would have all of your questions answered, but that you would know that it's okay to wrestle with his will and to wait on his will. And the goal, no matter how much you are stretched and challenged, the goal is that you would walk in his will for your life. Next week, our executive pastor, John Gordon, will be preaching on waiting on the will of God. Michael Loudermilk, our college and singles pastor, will then tackle the subject of wrestling uh, with the will of God. And then our pastor of men's ministries and adult education, Don Yates, will conclude the series as he addresses what it looks like to walk in the will of God. When people ask that question, what is the will of God for my life? We have to first respond with another question and say, it depends. Are you talking about the hidden will of God concerning your future? Or are you talking about the revealed will of God from the scriptures as it relates to the present? Let's look for a moment at that first one, the hidden will of God. Some look to the the psychic or the, the tarot card or the Ouija board in order to get these definite yes or no answers when it comes to their future. But this aspect of the will of God, like my phone said, it's none of our business. That's God's business. The secretive will of God is not our property. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. So that's the hidden, decreed, 
sovereign will of God. But then there is the revealed will of God. The will of God is revealed in the scriptures as it pertains to us and how we are to live today as believers. This is his revealed will of command, something that we can know and either obey or disobey. This morning we're looking at a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 16 in which the Apostle Paul wanted what he believed was God's will. But God had another plan in mind. To provide a little context, in Acts chapter 9, Paul comes to faith in Christ and he immediately begins to preach the gospel in the synagogues. We then see in Acts chapter 13, Paul goes on his first missionary journey. This first journey is largely by sea. And then at the end of chapter 15, Paul takes Silas on his second missionary journey, this time traveling primarily by land. And then in chapter 16, we read in verse 1 that Paul came also to Derbe and then to Lystra. Lystra was the city on Paul's first missionary journey where he had encountered the most severe opposition. But it was on that first visit where Paul met a young man by the name of Timothy. And Paul observed in Timothy gifts of ministry. So Paul decides to take on Timothy as an intern to teach him and disciple him as they traveled and ministered together. We then see in verse 5 that the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. God was bringing about great success as these churches were being founded and people were coming to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this team must have been getting in at the end of those long days like you do when you're on a mission trip and you just share testimony after testimony of God at work and God's faithfulness. And it's encouraging as you read through the book of Acts and see that Paul and Silas, they weren't in it for themselves. Their motives were pure. They just wanted to make Christ known in these pagan regions. So that's why it's surprising to read verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So what happened? They had open doors and green lights. But when Paul and Silas and Timothy move into these central and southern regions of Asia Minor, which is in the country of Turkey today, God suddenly yanks that emergency brake and says no. It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. And this was probably one of those moments when that question is asked, God, what is your will in all of this? Why aren't you opening the door? There are people in these areas that need to hear the truths about Christ. 
So Paul thinks, okay, God, maybe since you are saying no to these central and southern regions, that means you're leading us toward the northern regions. Verse 7, and after they came to Mishia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. It can be difficult for us to get a grasp geographically of these areas that Paul is referring to. So let's imagine these regions are states in America. They start in South Carolina and they make their way down to Tennessee and they find a closed door. So they go down to Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana and think, okay, maybe we can preach there. More closed doors. Well, how about if we go up to Kansas or Nebraska? Slam, slam. One closed door after another. Verse 8, And passing by Mashiach, they came down to Troas. They wanted to preach the gospel in these populated areas. But instead, the Holy Spirit directed them on this 400-mile journey by foot to Troas. That's like ending up all the way out in Seattle. You can't go any further without getting on a boat. Troas was the northwesternmost point of that region. So Paul and Timothy and Silas, they're out there, and they wonder as they stand out on the shores of the sea, and they look out and they think, Lord, what are you doing? What is this about? What about all the people we just passed by? These people need to know Christ too, but for some reason, your spirit is not allowing us to speak to them. We often face closed doors like that, that we can't explain at the time. Maybe it's a job interview process or a house that you thought you were going to buy and you invest a lot of time and effort to the point where you begin seeing yourself in that place. But then all of a sudden, without warning, God shuts that door, sometimes even slamming it in our face. And it's difficult, and we struggle to know why that happened the way it did. But we see a breakthrough take place with Paul in verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. We are not sure how long Paul was in Troas before this vision appears to him. Maybe it's the first night. Maybe it's after a week of, of praying and waiting to hear from God on what they should do next. But one night, Paul has a vision. And in the vision, a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. We read something like that and think, that's what I need. I need a vision. I need some kind of dream or burning bush moment in order to know God's will. But we don't need visions. If we didn't have God's word, we might need them. If we didn't have 
the scriptures and the indwelling Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, then perhaps we might need more spirit-guided evidence that God wants us to do this or that. Once we exhaust the pages of scriptures and the truths of the Bible, then perhaps we could start trusting in visions. But we know that's not possible because God's word is inexhaustible and the revelation of his will as found in the words of the Bible is sufficient. We don't need visions. What we need are insights from God's word and a sensitivity to the Spirit's leading in our life and then willing hearts to obey. Paul has this vision of a man from Macedonia, which is in Greece, and this man represented all of the culture and intelligence and human achievements of the Greek culture. But what this man also represented was spiritual bankruptcy. He needed Christ. The Macedonian man said, in essence, Paul, you see those blue waters of the Aegean Sea? Cross on over to this side. Come on over to the European side. Come on over to Macedonia, a new culture, a new language, a new continent. Come on over and help us. God closed the door where Paul was, but God was opening up a new door on the other side of the sea. And you can imagine the light bulb turning on in Paul's mind. That explains it, God. That explains why you were saying no to these familiar areas. Your plan involved an even wider reach than I could ever imagined. God's plan was greater. It involved taking the message of faith and hope in Christ to a place it had never been before. I think back when that little book by Bruce Wilkinson, The Prayer of Jabez, when that first came out in 2000, it became an international bestseller, selling more than 9 million copies. But if you, all, if you all remember, some of the merchandising and the commercialization of that book got a little bit out of control. You go into the Christian bookstores and you'd see the, the prayer of Jabez uh, mouse pads and, and backpacks and scented candles. And, but despite all of that, there was one, there was a point in, there was a, a point in that book that stuck with me. And it was the prayer that Jabez offered up in 1 Chronicles 4.10 when he prayed, God, expand or enlarge my territory. That's a good thing to pray as we desire God's will. It's a prayer that says, God, use your word and your gospel to go farther than I could ever imagine. I don't want to be just comfortable 
in these parameters. God, expand my borders for ministry. Get me out of my comfort zone and use your word to do great things. Do something great for your kingdom and your glory that is far greater than my small plans. And look at Paul's response. There weren't any excuses or fears about the unknown. He didn't worry about the details or say, that's just too far from home. No, it says in verse 10, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God said, go. And right away, Paul said to his companions, get on that boat. Notice the shift in pronouns as well. Dr. Luke, the gospel writer and the author of the book of Acts, he's been using the third person in verses 6 through 8, describing Paul and Silas and how they passed through. They were trying. They came down. But here in verse 10, Luke says, we, we sought to go into Macedonia. Following God's will, Dr. Luke gives up his medical practice and becomes a part of this missionary team. And from this time on, here in Troas, Luke is identified with their mission efforts. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke. This was a missionary dream team that first began a work of evangelism in Europe that led to the founding of the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and at Corinth. When Paul was facing those closed doors, we don't read of any frustration on his part, but we can't help but wonder if there was confusion, if there was any questioning at all as to what God was up to as they waited on God's will. It appears that these men just simply continued to walk in faith and trust in the triune God. We see the Trinity leading them in these verses, the Holy Spirit in verse 6, the Spirit of Jesus in verse 7, and then God the Father in verse 10. Sometimes when we step out in faith, the doors just close. And we wonder why. We're looking for work. That's not working. We're wondering why we're not having the success in ministry or in relationships that we had hoped for. And we wonder why. But God sometimes very plainly says no without ever explaining why. Paul heard it several times when hoping to visit these places in verses 6 and 7. And Paul is forced to just wait and circle in that holding pattern of God's will. And this will happen for us as well, seasons of wrestling and waiting before we get to that place 
where we are walking in his will. There are times when we aren't sure what God is up to and what he has in store for us. And all we can simply do is trust and rest in the fact that God has our very best in mind. And we need to trust him and walk by faith like Paul did, being guided by the Holy Spirit. Chuck Swindoll said that when God answers, he says yes, no, or grow. God may say to you, just wait, not yet. I have something far greater planned for you. You just don't know it yet. You can't see it. But in time, things will become more clear. Right now, I may first need to mature you or possibly allow some things to happen in your life through my permissive will that will grow you and refine you in Christ's likeness. When God answers yes, that's great. But when God answers no, when God answers not yet, that's when things can become difficult. And it's hard to keep reminding ourselves of James 1.3, that the waiting on God, the testing of our faith, produces endurance. Paul got a clear no from God. It was a no to Paul's plan, but a yes to this is a far better plan for you because it is my plan for you. Pastor Roger often challenges the rest of the pastoral team in our weekly meetings with the mantra, good, better, best. When making decisions about our church and our ministries, are we just wanting good or better? Or are we seeking what is best? And that's what we should also ask when considering and praying for God's will to be done in our lives. Am I settling for good? Or is there something better? But God, what I really want is your best for my life. C.S. Lewis writes, the best is perhaps what we understand the least. We often don't understand what God is doing. Searching questions far outweigh and outnumber those nice little packaged answers. There may be days and months and years when we simply cannot figure out what God is up to. We experience those times when God seems so close, but then there are, are those days and restless nights when God seems distant as we navigate the storms of life. And we tend to focus on trying to know everything God has for us tomorrow, the hidden will of God. Where should I go? How should I get there? 
What exactly should I do? But there are times when God may be more concerned with the journey he is taking us on rather than that end result. His focus may be more on the growth process that he is taking us on to mature us and sanctify us, making us more and more like his son. Elizabeth Elliot wrote, If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. Paul was out there in Troas at the furthest edge. There's nowhere else to go but the sea. If one of his companions had asked him, Paul, what next? Where are we going now? His answer would have been, I don't know. And that's okay. It's okay to say, I can't explain what God is doing at this time, but I'm going to wait on him and trust him and trust what I know to be true about him. As I worked my way through seminary, one truth kept slapping me in the face, and that is how little I really know about the things of God. The more I learned, the more I realized that the Scripture and the ways of God are unfathomable. A part of me probably went into seminary thinking, okay, now I can really get a handle on God and spiritual matters. But the more I learned about him and his word, the greater his greatness became and the smaller I appeared in light of him. The same is true with the will of God. The deeper we dig into it, the more we come to terms with how little we know. And we go from an unconscious to a more conscious awareness of our own ignorance on this subject. So how do we determine God's will for our lives? When it comes to the hidden will of God, we would be wise to follow the advice of John Calvin, who said, when God closes his holy mouth, I will desist from inquiry. Wanting to know God's will for your life is not a bad thing, but we have to be okay with the fact that there may be a plan that is, our, that is not ours to know until he decides to reveal it, if he does at all. We can't know the hidden will of God. So what can we know about the revealed will of God? What can we know about his will for us let me mention a few things. First, his will for you is your personal holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 reads, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. A sculptor was once asked how he could carve a lion's head out of a large block of marble. And he answered, I just chip away everything that doesn't look like a lion's head. If we yield to God, 
He will work away on us and begin to chip away everything in us that doesn't look like Christ. Our pride, our temper, our lust, our envy, our impatience, anything which leads us away from the Father. He wants to chip away those things in our lives and shape us into his image. The will of God for you is your holiness and your righteousness as you are being sanctified into the likeness of Christ Jesus. Second, his will for you is that you worship, pray, and give thanks to him. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you are being tested, strength, stretched, and challenged, and forced to wrestle and wait on God, don't get bitter, don't complain, but rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God. The will of God for you is that you delight in him and his word. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. People can get consumed with that question. How can I know the will of God? But what we should be asking is, how can I know God more? How can I know his word and his commands and his precepts and standards for my life? I have often found that it's those who struggle least with the will of God are those who know his word the best. So instead of worrying about a knowledge of the future, we should be concerned with what God is pleased with today, what God blesses, and that is our holiness, the attitude of our hearts as we worship and give thanks to him, and then living out and obeying the word of God. When we see the title of this message, Wanting the Will of God, we tend to think, well, that's the easy part. We all want the will of God. The hard parts are these other aspects that we, we will be looking at in the coming weeks, the waiting and the wrestling. But if we are honest with ourselves, we would have to say that we often do not really want to do his will. We want to do our will. We want to know his will, but doing God's will is something else entirely. Because most of the time, doing God's will requires change and risk and adjustments in life that we may not be willing and ready to make. We like the comfortable and the safe and the familiar and that which we can control. But the closer we walk 
with God, the more we have to give up of our own will and the less control we have over our own plans as we yield to him. When trials come, we can lose sight of the fact that God is still at work because we can't see the big picture yet. But a time is coming when we will see all that God was up to. Jay Kessler says, the first sound that may come out of our mouths when we get to heaven is, ah, now I see it. Now I realize why this or that happened. You are now making sense, God, The full panorama of your will is now spread out before me. You're making sense of all those things that I had questioned. And once we see that panorama, panorama of his will spread out before us, we will see that it was good and perfect. We know from Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good. All of the tragedy, heartache, illness, disease, premature deaths, all of that will be unfolded before us and we will finally see God's plan and we will find that it was good and perfect. So how can we know the revealed will of God as it pertains to our life today? Number one, we can know it through the leading of his word. The word is a lamp unto our feet, Psalm 119, and a light to our path. If we want to walk in his will, we must first abandon our plans and what we prefer, and align our will to his, as revealed in the scriptures. And for some, that may mean becoming a missionary. For others, it may mean becoming a, a teacher, or a doctor, a soldier, a banker. But that doesn't mean that the missionary is holier than the banker. Or the teacher. If that's God's plan for you, whatever that is, and you sense His leading and His peace, then obey. You are only in the wrong place if you don't go where God is leading you. Second, we can know His will through the peace and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The Spirit gives us a sense of God's leading and it, and it may not have been that decision that you would have wanted or chosen. And it's still okay to make out that chart of, of pros and cons but when making that decision, we need to first and primarily 
be sensitive to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And the third way he can lead us in his will is through the counsel of other wise believers. These are people who know his word and they will commit to pray about your situation before giving you an answer. These are people who say, let me pray about that for a day or two before I get back to you. Let me spend some time in the scriptures before giving you an answer. Find some people like that. And then when God reveals his will through the word and through prayer and through the peace of the Holy Spirit and through the counsel of other wise believers, then it's on us to then step out in faith and believe that God is who he says he is. And we'll find that there's no safer, there's no better, no more rewarding place to be than in the center of God's will. Maybe it's time that we stopped trying to figure it all out. His plan for you is not about you. And it's not so that you would be more comfortable. His plan, his will is designed to make you more like Christ. The founder of the Navigator's Ministry was a man by the name of Dawson Trotman. Some of you may be familiar with the story of how Dawson, at the age of 50, was out on a boat on a lake in New York in 1956. A young girl on another boat fell overboard, and Dawson dove into the lake to rescue her. Dawson saved the girl's life, but in the process, Dawson drowned. A friend of Dawson, who was in another boat, ran down the shoreline of the lake and found Dawson's wife, Lila, walking on the beach. And the friend cried out, Lila, Dawson's gone. He's gone. And Lila turned and faced the friend and then calmly quoted Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. When trials come, I don't have to understand why. The ways of God are not my business. But I must know that he is in control and that this trial was not an accident. I must know that he is at the wheel and that he is sovereign and therefore I can trust him. I can have peace knowing that what God did yesterday and today and will do tomorrow has been decreed and I can rest in the fact that his will, his plan for my life is good and perfect. Grant Howard asked the question, can I know the, de 
the determined will of God for my life? Yes, after it has occurred. Everything that has happened in your life to this moment has been a part of God's determined will for your life. It has happened because he has determined it to be so. He then asks, can I know any part of God's determined will for my life in the future? Your spiritual position and your eternal destiny are the two things that we can know with certainty. The remainder of your life, the remainder of your future is hidden until it happens. Your career, your spouse, if you're not married yet, where you will live, all that will happen in your life cannot be predicted with absolute certainty. If there are just two things that I can know with certainty, my spiritual position in Christ and my eternal destiny, then I better have an assurance of these truths. We read in Acts 2.23, this man, talking about Jesus, was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put to death. God looked at Jesus on the cross and he said, that's exactly in my will. And Jesus knew this is what he came to do, to die on a cross for our sins, thereby satisfying the wrath of God because of sin and setting us free from the bondage of sin and death. He died willingly so that we could live eternally. Jesus knew this is the plan. It wasn't a surprise to him. That's why his final words on the cross were, it is finished, or tetelestai, which means paid in full. He paid our debt. God's redemptive plan had been completed. And then finally, Acts 2, verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. If we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, we will be with him in heaven. There will be no more mysteries, no more suffering, no more confusion, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more disappointment. All we will know is his glory. So what is the will of God for your life? Much of it is a mystery. But don't leave today without asking yourself those questions that we can know the answers to with certainty. Do I know Christ? 
Have I placed my faith in Jesus alone who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead in order to give me eternal life? Have I said, not my will, God, but yours? And then number two, have I come to that place in my spiritual life where I know for certain that if today was my last day, then I would be spending eternity in heaven. If you are not sure of those answers, be sure today. Place your faith in Christ alone so that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that you would spend eternity with him. There will be members of our prayer team down here that, that would love to help you with those decisions. But let me pray for us at this time. Father God, sometimes life doesn't make sense. But we know that with you, there are no accidents. There are no surprises. You are faithful, and we entrust our lives and our will to you. We desire that your will would be done in our lives, but we need you to strengthen our faith and trust where it is weak. Help us not to worry or focus on the future and that which we cannot know. Help us to not dwell on the past and past mistakes and regrets. For, you know, for we know that you forgive us our sins and you make us whiter than snow. Father, we want to focus on the present and knowing you and your word. Use your word and your spirit to conform us more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Jesus, who was obedient to your will to the point of death, death on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.